Hello and welcome to episode 308 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you in different locations. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion, Storm. And I'm coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion, Seattle Seahawks. The Rich Amaral edition. The it's Somehow the, uh, the A-Rod and Rich Amaral edition, since it's 308, I think. And Ken Griffey Jr. on the Reds. <laughs> i hadn't considered that as we get far enough along it could be all combinations of numbers are possible and if That's you true. add all that together it's 11 <laughs> <laughs> uh like bobby wagner wearing 45 with the ramps so it still adds up to number nine oh. his college number there we go well i uh, hope everyone got a chance to listen to our seahawks draft preview with danny kelly of the ringer earlier this week really great stuff from danny oh yeah Absolutely great stuff from Danny. And I just want to circle back on a point about LaVisca Chenault. No. Oh, no, no. Please no more on LaVisca Chenault. (laughs) You did not think that the person we would talk about the most in the draft preview podcast would be LaVisca Chenault, but it wouldn't be be the Pelton cast if it was what you expected. Would be a third-year wide receiver who is not on the Seahawks. (laughs) Did not go to UW, has no specific ties to the Pacific Northwest other than playing in the Pac-12. But uh, we're excited, of course, to continue previewing the draft. Friday, April 22nd, we are a week and a half away no. from Pelton Cast Live. Wow! A week and a half away from Friday, April 22nd, Pelton Cast Live for the first time. Since 2019 at Good Times Bad Bar in the heart of Lower Queen Anne. Are you like practicing this in the mirror or did you just have this down by this point? I, I have it down by this point. I was framing it as a question. You were supposed to say yes. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, Pelton Cast Live, Good Times Bad Bar. You know what to expect from Pelton Cast Live. Or if you haven't ever been to one before, get ready. Because... It is an experience unlike any other. I was around some people this weekend who have never once listened to a PeltonCast podcast, but they're PeltonCast live fans. It's like, yeah, I don't really listen to the music, but I go to the live shows. We're the Dave motherfucking Matthews of podcasts here, right? This is Fish out here. We have fans of the live show itself. And let me just tell you, PeltonCast live, I would not compare it to a jam band show. Although it is meandering, it is much more fun. The Pelton Cast Live, what you can expect from it is, as always, special guests, surprises, bingo, and confirm the famous cousin Katie talking taco time with just Chris, not Randy. Uh, we have special guests like Mike Sean Dugar from The Athletic to help us preview the NFL draft. You might have heard him when he also interviewed Danny Kelly last week <laughs> or when we interviewed Danny Kelly last week. Uh, there's going to be continuing draft coverage. We'll, we'll, we'll compare notes on our two different Danny Kelly podcasts at Pelton Cast Live. We're going to break down the quarterbacks. We're going to have fun surprises for Mike Sean. And most importantly, Come hungry to Pelton Cast Live because some things have been confirmed. Uh, and, there it is. And some other things have not been confirmed. 
And even most importantly, mostest importantly, I hit up Good Times Bad Bar. Oh. The, the last couple of Pelton Cast Lives that that we've hosted, there haven't been Rainier Tall Boys. Well, that's not true. There weren't initially Rainier. Two, two the, Pelton Cast Lives ago at Barboza, no Rainier Tall Boys. Belltown but, Yacht Club on the last event, they were initially not going to have Rainier Tall Boys. And I talked to them about this many days out from Pelton Cast Live. And it was like, great. Get get all the Rainier Tall Boys you have, get extra. And they were like, ooh, we just have 12 ounce Rainier cans. And we were like, Mm-mm, that's not going to cut it for Pelton Cast. We need Live. those extra four ounces. You know what Lil Woody's did when they had the Pelton Cast burger? This is what we are pioneers of. And so I hit up Good Times Bad Bar earlier today, in fact. And I was like, just to confirm, you have Rainier Tall Boys. And the first sentence in the email response was, yes, we specialize in Rainier Tall Boys, LOL. There it is. There we go. That's, that's how you know we found the right venue for us. We are home specialize in Rainier tall boys. Last time we had like 120 to drink. We had to drink them all this time. I don't think we'll be able to drink every single Rainier tall boy in that building, but that's okay. <laughs> we will drink enough at Pelton cast live. Go ahead and post the ticket link again. Tickets. Actually, I, I, I'm shocked to say this selling fairly well. Uh, if you want to come and you can't afford the $10 ticket price, please let us know. We would be happy to put you on the guest list. Uh, we just want to make sure that you're able to be there. Have a good time. If you are able to buy a ticket, 100% of proceeds, this is not net profits, 100% gross proceeds will be donated to the Family First Center in Renton, Washington, as championed by Doug Baldwin. I I, I just don't know what else you could expect from this event. <laughs> well, you didn't mention DJ Infrared is part of the show. That's what else you That's going to be another key part. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I can't wait. I'm not at all prepared for it, but I can't wait. Oh, me either. Uh, so again, one more time, Friday, April 22nd, good times, bad bar in the heart of Lower Queen Anne. I drove through there earlier or over the weekend. It was great. I loved it. Everything about it was amazing. The sun was shining down upon us. Uh, it, it's going to be a special night. And uh, we hope that, that you can make it out again. Uh, tickets you'll post the ticket link from brown paper tickets uh, go ahead and grab those and we're gonna see you very very soon quite soon remarkably soon so they not only do they specialize in rainier tall boys also quite near to a poliachi location there we go so that's how you know this is the right spot uh -huh. for us uh let's talk about this week's beer uh, spoiler which alert, i said what what type of food might be there yeah it, i sent you one of these beers yesterday uh, you did not get the message that I had delivered it, and instead it ended up with, with one of your bands. It is, it is rolling around in a vinyl box somewhere in Northern California right now. <laughs> oh, delightful. Uh, it is the Silver City Brewery from our friends at Silver City Brewery in Silverdale, Washington. The Copper Mountain Maybach Lager, uh, which, did I pull up the page here? Yes. Warming you up on cool days, cooling you down on warm days. We've only got one of those as an issue right now. Maybach is a traditional German-style lager celebrating the end of the harsh alpine winter and the re-emergence of the beer garden. Copper Mountain is a formidable but approachable lager with a rich caramel sensibility encapsulated by a refreshing, easygoing texture. 
So I'll, I'll just tell you how this is. Yeah. <laughs> it's you, good. I've why had don't a you just tell me how it is? <laughs> timely. Timely reference. Oh. That's the kind of stuff you're getting at Pelton Cast Live, April 22nd. Well, I'm cracking open a Rainier Tallboy in preparation for all of the Rainier Tallboys we're going to be having. I can't believe that we're actually able to do this after so long. Uh, and again, confirmed, the famous cousin Katie will be in attendance. That's very exciting. All right, our toast this week. We start off with congratulations to Storm newcomers Brian January and Gabby Williams, who hoped, helped Chopin Basket of Hungary to their first ever EuroLeague title on Sunday with a 60-55 win over Final Four host Fenerbahce. Williams had a game-high 15 points, four rebounds, four steals, and three assists in the final to be named MVP of the Final Four, while January had 11 points and four boards. Gabby Williams also last week picked for the All-EuroLeague second team. Congrats also to the Storms' Essie Magbegar, who helped the Melbourne Boomers to a 2-1 series win over the Perth Lynx in the WNBL Finals, including an 84-66 victory in the winner-take-all Game 3. Magbegor had 17 points and 11 boards in the clincher. And th- this isn't quite quite a toast. We wanted to throw this in here from the listener. little listener email from uh, Warren Arsenault, who noted that uh, finished... Warren finished second in both the men's and the women's NCAA tournament pools. Finished just out of, not the money in this case, but just out of the hat. Wow. And asked, do those make me the most Seattle person in Louisiana? <laughs> well, did the Kraken move to Louisiana? That's like a oh. Kraken-like finish, I feel like. So close, yet so far away. Midway <laughs> through the season, your coach pushes a player and gets fired. Um do you know Warren? Warren's been part of several of the fantasy leagues. Okay, and they're they're a Seattle sports fan, but live in Louisiana. I th- I think the connection might be through the WNBA, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Okay, I was going to say Warren, why are you listening to this podcast? We would we would <laughs> gladly send you a hat though if if they're already. I guess that's the other thing we didn't mention. Posted this online the the hats that we're going to have. I think we're going to have them very reasonably priced for sale at Pelton Cast Live because in the past we've had hats and not had any ability for people to attain them. That's correct. So, <laughs> you had to you had to get lucky and we had to throw one to you, which still is a possibility. There still could be one thrown to you. We will sell them after the show just in case you don't right. get one thrown to you. It's a safety net. <laughs> a safety net. Although it's dangerous when the hats are thrown. <laughs> I need to follow up on, on tracking for that shipment. <sighs> All right, as we get into our rundown, it's time to do our top chef update. Uh, Seattle's Luke Colpin finished in the bottom three, narrowly avoided in elimination last week for a challenge where the chefs honored female Texas pioneers. Luke had pioneering black aviator Bessie Coleman and made cured salmon in a nod to her indigenous heritage with an oyster emulsion and chicken fudge with chicken and rye breadcrumbs. Alas, the judges criticized this dish as, quote, boring and felt it needed (laughs) more salt and acidity. And so one of the other three had that was in the bottom three had uh, had immunity for this challenge. So it was it was a 50 50 shot for Luke, but managed to uh, hang on despite this this dish. Wow. I, I don't know if things are looking up for Luke right now. Every episode. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how long this Top Chef update segment continues. That's very funny that they called it boring. I feel like I would personally be very glad to try any of the dishes, even if he finished in the bottom three of Top Chef. 
Oh, for sure. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. that sounds great to me. It looked, I mean, that's the thing about Top Chef is you don't get to actually eat the food. You just look at it and it looked incredible. I'm sure. I, I, I feel like it probably tasted good also. I mean, I mean, the one thing was, so it was cured salmon, but they only had three hours and you have to cook it. So it's, uh, or, you know, you have to finish it up. So it's not like a full cure that you would normally have with a piece of fish like that. So partial cure. understandable that it might have uh, not been as flavorful, but it did look phenomenal. I did want to know, by the way, last weekend was my last trip to Portland of the year. So I got in the Staples, one more visit to a Fury Ramen, to Lordo, to Screen Door. It was de- you delightful. You really played the hits there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if, if you're not going for six months, I got to, you know, I got to make sure I take care of these. This this was uh, like your, your last meal trip to Portland. It kind of was, yes. I, I ate outdoors at Screen Door oh, on the one nice day that we had. Man. That was... That was delightful. Remember the nice day? The nice day. We're, uh, we're going to like we, weeks That's from a toast. Toast to the nice day. <laughs> oh. Wow. Not a toast to the last week's worth of weather. How is it possible that this is just a weather podcast now? Oh, yeah. It, was, it snowed multiple times. I mean, like I got water, out of Portland just in time. <laughs> it was 80 fucking degrees on Thursday, and then it snowed by Sunday. I, when I woke up Monday morning and saw the post from uh, Phil's, which sadly I did not make it out to since the Blazers, they didn't hold the USA basketball practices at the Moda, at the uh, the Blazers practice facility in Tualatin like they normally do uh-huh. is at the Moda Center. Uh, saw that they were closed for the safety of their employees getting to work. That was pretty incredible. That's offensive weather. This that You know what this weather deserves? Kraken! Oh wow! Right? I mean, come on! Like, what's what's more curse of Kraken like than it fucking snowing in April, and also teasing us, teasing us with one eighty degree day? Uh, the the Maybach was cool you know, on that one day, and now back to warming us. I I drove home Sunday night, and there was like it wasn't sticking, obviously, but it was definitely like full flakes of snow were falling throughout much of that drive home from Portland, which was. Great drive. I'm going to LA next week during the middle of the week, and I'm so sorry to say that you're going to have to do Pelton Cast live on your own. I'm not coming back. <laughs> that checks out. That makes sense. But you'll, heart of Lower Queen Anne. Say it with me. <laughs> we'll replace you. And Mike Sean will fit in very naturally. <laughs> Ask yeah. Mike Sean what he thinks about LaVisca Chenault's college tape, though. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, the, so the other place I went in addition to playing the hits last week in Portland was I finally got back to Toki for the first time uh, since I had gone there during the Blazers playoff series last year. So it, it had been a minute because they're not typically open. They're not uh, typically open like pregame. They don't open until five. So like my window to pick up meals on my way to Moda Center limits my options. The uh, the chicken sandwich remains just outstanding, maybe as good as any chicken sandwich I've ever had, period. Wow. I also this time tried the Bao Burger. That's a, a staple of their menu. So I don't think I've been to Toki then. I, I was thinking it was the restaurant that they did a bunch of like grilled vegetables and stuff. No, no, that's not Toki. Mm-hmm. No. That that place I did have earlier this year. That's uh, Mama Bird, oh. I believe is that one. Okay. I thought it was great. No, it's very good. Uh, but Toki is a different spot. It's funny the uh, the chef there, Peter Cho, is actually the brother of 
one of the coaches who helps out with the Hoop Summit practices. So I saw his brother the day before uh, I went there. So the bow burger, it's a bow, you know, a, a like a, uh, a giant dumpling, I guess. I don't know. Uh, filled with two burger patties, cheese, uh, diced pickles. So it basically tastes, once you're biting into the inside, like a Big Mac, even though it's in this unconventional format instead of with a bun. This was good? It's quite fascinating. Oh, yeah. Okay. It was good. All right. I'll accept it. Not as good as the chicken sandwich. The chicken sandwich is still my recommendation for anyone going to Tokyo, but I would try the bow burger as well. I, I guess, you know, now that the Blazer season is over, uh, if we could put a little bit of a bow on the season, obviously... There was a bit of writing on the wall about the season happening for the Blazers and ended up, you know, worst case scenario. I don't think we could have necessarily predicted as we were entering into the play-in tournament that, you know, CJ McCollum would be gone. Roko would be gone. Dame wouldn't have played for months. uh, And really, there'd be some pretty serious uncertainty around the franchise. But it did kind of feel like the Blazers were due for a real regression season. I, I guess... Pointing forward, though, and understanding that if you're going to be bad, you might as well be really bad in the NBA, which especially with the play in tournament, if you're not going to be in that mix, there's no need to be the first team out, basically. And I guess pointing forward, what would be your expectation for the Blazers this offseason? I mean, I think we'll have a better sense of it by the end of this week, because one of the big question marks here is, are they going to get two lottery picks? And so the second of those would be presumably coming, not presumably, it would be coming from the New Orleans Pelicans from the C.J. McCollum trade. They For the Blazers to get the pick this year, the Pelicans can't make the playoffs. They can't win both games in the play-in this week in advance. And then also they have to not jump up into the top four during the lottery, which would be pretty unlikely if they don't make the playoffs. So in that scenario, you're probably looking at two lottery picks the potential, I think, of trading one of those picks for veteran help. Jeremy Grant, as I've mentioned before, is the name everyone has connected the Blazers with after he played with Damian Lillard on the uh, U.S. Olympic team last year. And his salary fits conveniently in the giant trade exception they created in the McCollum trade. So, you know, if they get the right pick and Detroit is in, is interested in trading Jeremy Grant, it, it could be the kind of thing that would fit. And then you're looking at a, a more complete starting lineup, a more balanced starting lineup going into next season. And coupling that with a top eight pick, right, at worst? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that sounds pretty good to me. Basically, you have some youth in entered into the mix. Dame feels like he's going to long-term be a blazer. Is that kind of the vibe that you're getting? That is very much the vibe. I mean, he came out before the final game against Utah spoke to the fans and said, this does not continue, which I agree. He's like, I'm big traded (laughs) for me, for you. This is going to continue forever. Them losing by 50 points as they did to (laughs) Dallas on Friday in their penultimate game. They lost 11 of their last 11 games after the all-star break by 30 plus points, which was as many as any team has lost in a season. In all time. It was like all-time futility, like, for sure. Like, Portland might have been running out the last two weeks of the season the worst lineups in NBA history. Wow. That is entirely possible. That's I, relative to the league. Impressive. Uh, but we sort of talked about, you know, you look at the pick that they have, and I hadn't really considered it, but the chances of somebody like Paula Moncaro ending up in Portland is a very realistic possibility, depending on how the lottery shakes out. 
And I think he'd be such an, a perfect player for what they need right now. I mean, obviously, any of the top three would be a great fit for what they're doing. And and I like this draft beyond the top four. A couple of my favorite players and Keegan Murray and A.J. Griffin probably are outside the top four. So uh, are they outside as long of the they top four, but inside of the top ten? Yes. Okay. So as long as the Blazers don't fall too much in the lottery, they should have a shot at one of those, you know, six players, the top, the top three, Jaden Ivey and those two guys. Jaden Ivey may be the worst fit for the Blazers since he's another smallish guard, but uh, also a, a very exciting prospect. So. All right. Well, well, we'll casually follow that. Of course, as we always do. I think, though. With that, it's time for your favorite segment. Regular season mode. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariners hot takes coming at you. Well, last week I heard you talking about awards for the season. And after this first week of baseball, I thought it was important to give out some awards to this Mariners team that I've really enjoyed watching. Okay. First off, we have the award for MVP. Of the Peoria Sports Complex. And that goes to Julio Rodriguez because that's where all of his hitting production stayed. But you know what? There's another MVP on this team. That's right. Jared Kelenic. He's an MVP too. Of Funko Field in Everett because that's where Kelenic belongs to be playing after this start. When I say they need to send him down, I mean they need to send him all the way down. He also wins the Justin Smoke Dustin Ackley Award for what did we see in this player? Then there's the Felix Hernandez Award for Cy Young winner who will never play in another playoff game again. (laughs) And of course, that one goes to Robbie Ray. What a start. Congrats on the 13 and 12 season. The done transacting on offense award goes to Jerry DePoto for being done transacting on offense. The, this is already hilarious award goes to the Mariners in general for thinking that they were set at outfield. And instead of aggressively pursuing Seiya Suzuki, who already has almost as many home runs on the season as the Mariners' entire team. They said that they were set in the outfield. The biggest jump award. That one goes to me and all of the city of Seattle for thinking after two decades that something would be different for the Mariners. We have been through this so many times. And the fun differential award. That one is for all of us because this season has been no fun and from last year, that is the differential. Oh dear. Well, it was a it was a good start for the Mariners. Remember Got last the opening week day when I said that I was going to pay attention to baseball? I watched a shocking amount of baseball of the, of the first two games. I haven't watched since then. Well, I didn't watch any of the first two games, and have watched basically every single one of the games after that. And let me tell you, has not been very fun. It's unclear which of us is the problem here, I guess, that I'm not watching these or that you are watching them. Uh, they got the 2-1 win on opening day, the delayed opening day. You're, you're, you're saying that they kept the off day in the schedule for weather. It did turn out to be prescient since they did get snowed out on Thursday in Minnesota. I mean, I don't know that that's baseball's fault. I think that's why are you scheduling games early in the season in Minneapolis's fault. 
They're going to have to play in Minneapolis at some point. Oh, why does Minneapolis not have a dome anymore? Oh, fair questions. I was like, that Hub- uh, Hub- Hubert Humphrey Metrodome sure looked pretty nice. Hubert H. Humphrey. Yeah. Shouts to the baggy. Second game, you can legitimately make the case they don't win on Saturday without Julio Rodriguez, who came up with a double in the uh, top of the ninth inning with the Mariners trailing at that point, came around to score the tying run. Mariners went ahead in that inning, uh, a really impressive frame, and, and yeah. got the 4-3 win. And, and I've been looking back on all of his hit for the season. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, now they've lost the last three by a combined 11 runs, just two regulars. Hitting better than 200 so far, those being J.P. Crawford and Ty France. Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez, a combined 2 of 25 on the season. And with Kelnick's hit being an infield pop-up that nobody called. I'm going to blame this on the cold weather in the Midwest. It's all going to get better once they get home. Was it not cold for the Twins, too? <laughs> well, they did score a lot of runs the first two games. I, the game that I watched, <laughs> they were hitting a lot. Byron Buxton didn't seem that cold. Gary Sanchez didn't seem that cold in the game. I love the idea that we just blame things on the, the like weather, but it only affects the team that you're cheering for. We did this in children's. Did I already complain about this in children's baseball? Where it's like Luca wasn't pitching very accurately, and the other team was just every pitch was a strike. And they're like, "Oh, it was the rain." I'm like, "Well, it wasn't raining for the other team, also." <laughs> I mean, normally you would say that people, the players for the Twins, would be more acclimated to the cold, but of course they also came. From spring training, so probably not. Oh, Lord, but Mariners—they got two more in Chicago, and then back home Friday for their home opener against the Strohs. Just home, not even back home. Yeah, I guess that's true. Back home from last season. <laughs> Julio Rodriguez has never been there. Oh God! Uh, is there is there part of you not to talk seriously about the Mariners, but I guess to talk seriously about the Mariners? Is there a part of you that is thinking, let's say that you care. Like, for Kellenic in particular, like, this may never happen. I mean, I went and looked at, like, Jose Lopez, Unieski, Betancourt, and I was like, comparing Jared Kellenic's first two seasons to Jose Lopez and Unieski, Betancourt would be an insult to those players. Oh. What was the level of offense, though? You think it was a much more offensive league when they were playing? Probably. I mean, they had numbers where I was like, I feel like these would be like borderline all-star numbers now. Right. So you're saying we're in like a dead I mean, most of the Mariners, the majority of the Mariners hitters last year hit under 200, right? Oh, God. And that's the team that people thought was going to make the playoffs this year. (laughs) Maybe they were right about stopping the shift. (laughs) (laughs) Did they actually stop the shift? It sure seemed like people were shifting. Okay, that's next. I still don't really comprehend how it's... Are you going to have boxes you have to stand in, like fucking babies? Like I assume it's just a count of guys on one side of the bag. Okay. So All right, it, was the, Kelnick was the only regular who hit under 200. Dylan Moore also under 200, but they had uh, Cal Seeger 212, Jake Fraley 210. It's sort uh, of Tom like... Tom Murphy 202. Uh, like um, uh, onside kick units, right? Right. So, Okay. I was imagining I mean, that's like just small mean. children. They just have like big circles you have to stand in and be like, here's where first base is. That's just me recklessly speculating. I have no idea if that actually you're, you're, is what No, the you're probably right. The, the other part just felt like just defensive enough that maybe baseball would do it. Really, it, it is. 
I've gone up and down on baseball. <laughs> oh, you've had a love-hate relationship with baseball. It's been a lot more hate since the season started. Oh, boy. I told you, the best part of the season is before you've played a game. <laughs> the worst thing you can do is play a game. You know who played some games Hello. in the past week? Husky the Seattle baseball. Kraken. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, we've not added them to the rundown I, I yet. Watched, I, don't know if doing I well. swear to God, I watched a Husky baseball game, like six innings of it. I loved every second of it. Way more than I loved any part of any Mariners game I've seen. Wow. You're, so you're saying bring out the metal bats is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Here. You just love the ping of the bat. <laughs> the, the ping of the bat, the roar of the crowd. <laughs> you know, baseball at 16 and 15. I don't think that's run down worthy. <laughs> Although they may have a better conference record than softball. Well, the Seattle Kraken played some games. They're, and they're most importantly, down worthy. You know who What's played a game? Record? Well, it's very bad. Uh, Matty Beniers there we go. played a game. The inaugural Kraken entry draft pick taken number two overall last year. Signed with the team on Sunday after his Michigan Wolverines squad lost in the national semifinals during last week's Frozen Four in his native Boston. Beniers made his debut on Tuesday night, recorded his first NHL assist, and finished third among Kraken skaters in time on the ice as part of a line with Ryan Donato and Jordan Eberle. Like, he's already, like, one of the team's best players. He was in college a week ago. He's already one of the Kraken's best players. It's kind of remarkable in hockey how quickly that happens. Uh, Kraken did have Wednesday's scheduled game at Winnipeg postponed due to a blizzard forecast to hit Manitoba what is happening? on Tuesday. Yeah, the weather is not good. Oh, climate change is happening. Uh, that one, that one this is their for... fault, too. They play in climate change arena. No, no, no. Rescheduled for Sunday, May 1st, two days after the previously scheduled conclusion of the NHL season. <laughs> it's unclear why they're playing this game. How is the season <laughs> not play over anyway. already? Well, they had it pushed back because of the Olympics. Uh, and then they had to use the Olympic break to make up the COVID The games. COVID break. Yes. Very fun. Very fun. Yeah, I was kind of happy where I was like, well, the NBA season is winding down. We're heading toward the playoffs. And I was like, well, the positive is at least we won't have to talk about the Kraken anymore. But then. Uh, Kraken's still third in the lottery standings. One point back of Montreal, three back of Arizona. They better hurry up. Matty Beneers better not be too good. <laughs> Seattle Sounders got a 3-1 win last Wednesday versus NYCFC in the first leg of their CONCACAF Champions League semifinals. Uh, claimed an early lead through Albert Rushnak finish on a terrific buildup, including a Jordan Morris assist. NYC answered in the 27th minute before Morris scored on a Christian roll-down feed. Seven minutes later, the Sounders then doubled their lead with a PK in the 68th minute from Nico Ladero to take a commanding two-goal lead to Harrison, New Jersey on Wednesday night with a spot in the CONCACAF Champions League finals on the line, something go. that the Sounders have never reached in franchise history and only a handful of MLS squads, period, have reached CONCACAF Champions League final. So it's going to be a big one. Uh, NYCFC played without playmaker Maxi Morales and defender, defender Maxime Cheneau. Both of them will miss Wednesday's return league, according to uh, NYC coach Ronnie Delia. Sounders will still be without center back Yamar, but uh, we'll get Nuhu back after he missed the first leg of the matchup due to yellow card accumulation. Sounders advance as long as they don't lose by three goals, or if it's a 3-1 loss, that would send match, the match to extra time. 
So they do extra time into penalty kicks, right? Yes. Okay. And I guess a, a two nothing loss would also would advance NYCFC directly. Road goals then, do matter in the Concacaf. Road goals do matter, okay. yes. But if it's two goal loss and the Sounders score at least twice, then uh, then they are they are through with that as well. So lots of options for the Sounders to advance, basically. After last Saturday's scheduled match against FC Cincinnati was rescheduled for September 27th, the Sounders will return to MLS play Saturday against Inter Miami and old friend DeAndre Yedlin returning oh, wow. to Seattle for the first time since he played for the Sounders. Uh, Miami comes in last in the East at 1-4-1 with a minus nine goal differential. Just two goals and assists so far from designated player Gonzalo Iguain, but in his absence, Leonardo Campana had a hat trick last Saturday as Miami got its first win of the season. Is Iguain not good anymore? What's going on here? I, I mean, it's five matches, so and the, it, and it may NL just has. be early. I don't know. I, I'm not... I'm not sure how well Iguain did last year, which was his first year, I think, with uh, in MLS. He is certainly someone we have heard of. <laughs> I mean, he was a star for a long time at Juventus. Maybe not a long yes, time, but like yes, he, was. he was one of the best players in Italian soccer for like a decade. According to Wikipedia, 15 goals in 44 career MLS matches. But his status for this weekend, unknown as yet. Oil Rain coming off the international break returned to Challenge Cup action on Thursday with their first ever matchup against expansion side San Diego Wave FC. And you're going to be in the building. Absolutely, I am. I think I forgot that I was going to be in the building. (laughs) (laughs) No, I can't wait. I'm so excited to go to my first Oil Rain match. First exclusive. I mean, you were at the OL Rain double of Sounders double header last year. Yes, a, a match that's specific toward the rain. I mean, I I said uh, uh, third Pelton brother Chris talking Taco Time co-host Chris asked me to go, and I jumped at the opportunity. This was something where you know I'm pretty excited to see what the crowd is like. You know, get get behind the team again. I've been talking about this a lot for OL Rain. I I feel like this is a real opportunity, and it's something where it's just it's it's a radically different thing for me as a person who wants to stand in opposition of something that is really really successful. It's just like this is the this is the anti Kraken, right? This is something that there's something really building here with a very good young team, uh, not maybe not a very good young team, but seeing the best players in women's professional soccer in the United States, and having that atmosphere coming to Seattle, I'm I'm very excited for it. I mean, it seems like a good combination of the team playing well at the right time to take advantage of this opportunity at Lumen Field. Uh, seven points so far from their first three NWSL Challenge Cup matchups and a chance this week to add significantly to that total because Thursday they play the Wave. Sunday it's Angel City FC, the other expansion side in the West Division. They win both of those. They uh, pretty close to lock up the, the West Division at that point. Uh, Wave got their first franchise win by a 4-2 score against Angel City FC behind a pair of goals from U.S. Women's National Team legend Alex Morgan, their star player, as well as one from longtime Rain forward Jody Taylor, also now playing in San Diego. Uh, 
So again, a real opportunity for Lorraine, who have a pair of wins thus far on the road in the NWSL Challenge Cup, drew their only home match thus far against Portland. Those San Diego Wave fans better watch out when they come into Lumen Field. That's right. Oh, they caught the wrong way. Yeah, we're we're not going to stand for any road fans in Lumen Field. This is the San Diego Wave, Angel City FC, uh, uh, those two in particular. Any fans of those teams do not come into our house. It's more like San Diego Wave goodbye. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like Philly sports when a San Diego Wave fan shows their face. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think I will see a single San Diego Wave fan? Uh, maybe one. Yeah, I could see a couple. I, just can't, I don't know. cannot imagine a world where there's a person, a San Diego Wave fan, either living in the Seattle area or traveling to this match. I mean, maybe to see a game at Lumen Field. That could be kind of cool. I don't know where the San Diego team is playing, but I'm I'm sure it's not the same kind of venue. San Diego. <laughs> Thanks. Probably on a military Thanks. base. Um, the... It's very sunny, though. I'll, I'll keep it running. <laughs> we'll take the near fascism. The uh, I'll, I'll keep a running tally, though. Of uh, please do. Maybe <laughs> take photos if you see anyone wearing a San Diego jersey. <laughs> like neck down, like TV news reports from the '90s or whatever. <laughs> uh, Seattle Storm came away with three players from Monday night's. WNBA draft with their first pick of the night, number 17 in the second round. They took North Carolina State Center Alyssa Kinane, who was considered a possible late first round pick, then traded the 18th pick to New York for a future second rounder next year and used the number 21 pick on UConn wing Avina Westbrook, a native of Salem, Oregon. With their final pick in the third round, number 33 overall, the Storm took 19-year-old Australian guard Jade Melbourne in what will hopefully be a stash pick, give her a chance to continue developing in the NWS, in the NWSL, the WNBL, before coming over to uh, try to make the team here in Seattle. Neither of these really at the big position in need for the Storm, which is at point guard if they want to keep a third player at that spot behind Subert, who we all assume is retiring after this season, and Brian Gerignori, who has announced she's going to retire after this season. So that's that's a spot I, I would very much expect them to see, to see them add some players for training camp, especially because camp starts Sunday. Uh, is it now the Storm? Expect 12 of 15 players uh, for the first day, not counting Melbourne, but uh, January and Gabby Williams still in action in the Hungarian domestic league after winning that EuroLeague women title on Sunday, while Kennedy Burke is still playing in Spain. So right now, Subaru, the only pure point guard set to be in trading camp for the Storm. Anna Wilson's still out there as an undrafted there free agent. So I wouldn't wouldn't be shocked to see her uh, in training camp, even with Russell Wilson's house now on the market. Oh, is it really? I hadn't seen that story. Yeah, there was a huge Seattle Times headline on that was one. Was it? Oh, God, of course. Uh, as far as Canaan and Westbrook, I, I think both quality, like really good college players. Canaan, the best player on the North Carolina State team that lost to UConn in the Elite Eight as a number one seed. Westbrook, someone who didn't have as strong a senior season, came off the bench a lot of the year, but was a really important part of the Huskies last year as a junior, very versatile on the wing. Both of them are going to have an uphill battle to earn roster spots because of the fact that the Storm only are going to keep 11. They've got 12 players who were on WNBA rosters last year. So it's going to be difficult, but I think if you know you always want to play well, even if you don't earn a spot so that you impress other teams or possibly you know join the Storm down the line when they do have the money to add a 12th player. 
Uh, last note on the, on the WNBA, Pelton Cast Fantasy WNBA, now set up at ESPN. We've got the link on the post note. There's already nine people in this league, so we're Hello. running out of spots, I go. think. I, Are you I playing? We're going to expand to 12. Of course. I don't think I can do it. I... I don't know if I'm going to dominate this league as dramatically <laughs> as I did last year's WNBA fantasy because wow. there was like a because so this is the first year over here. <laughs> this is the first year ESPN is doing it. Last year it was on this different site, and they had this a very unorthodox method of scoring, and I I had it pretty well gamed out. You're in saying addition to like moving having to projected ESPN WNBA stats hurt ESPN's Kevin Belton. That is that is the case. Wow. This is the first year ESPN is doing WNBA fantasy at all. Let's fucking yep. go. It's another sign the WNBA continuing to make oh, it. This is going to be a huge summer for the WNBA. For sure. It's going to be a bad summer for San Diego Wave fans. That's right. When they come into this house. <laughs> the worst season San Diego Wave fans have. Actually, you're, you're, you don't want them to be too successful because they need to go through the down period. It's really true. <laughs> they have to what suffer. was that down period for you with OL Rain? For OL Rain? Oh, oh we, yeah. We've suffered. There was the whole year that Rose Lavelle didn't play. I mean, uh, <laughs> I've labored. I mean, they did make the semifinals, the NWSL playoffs that year, I think. Don't think I don't remember it. All right, you know there, there the... do, 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 do you remember where they played previously before they were in Tacoma? They played at uh, Starfire. They did play there. You know where else they played? Memorial Stadium. Oh, I actually, Memorial I actually Stadium. remember that. Yeah, I caught him there. I was there, in spirit. <laughs> <laughs> whenever, there, whenever people are playing sports in Queen Anne, and the heart there. of Lower Queen Anne, there, there was that one time that the rain didn't win the NWSL Challenge Cup. <laughs> they have never won the Challenge Cup. So See? two times they have not done that. See? Uh, they've lost a couple of NWSL Cup finals. So. Very Seattle sports of them. Uh, UW softball, uh, after last weekend's by, they had a game scheduled Tuesday versus Seattle U that got postponed. Snowed out. <laughs> they really didn't give an explanation for why the game was postponed, so that was kind of suspicious. I, uh, I'm exhausted too, so <laughs> well, I get it. Did you have the weekend off, though? Uh, Huskies will host Oregon State this weekend with games Thursday through Saturday, so the two teams have Easter off. Uh, Beavers, a surprising 7-5. and five. You, you, you seem shocked That's by that. That's pretty problem. strange to have Easter I think they on? do that. Yeah. What the fuck sport is this? Beavers, a surprising 7-5 and five so far in Pac-12 play, 31-9 overall, having taken two of three, hosting Arizona last weekend. And they've moved into the rankings at number 21. Six spots behind the Huskies, still at number 15. All right, big addition for you of men's basketball. Hello. We can toast to this. Seattle native O'Day product Noah Williams returning home after three years at Washington State with up to two years of remaining eligibility. Williams memorably led the Cougars to a win at Heckhead in 2020 as a freshman, scoring 15 points and yelling, This is my city. With the win in hand. Playing the long uh, game. Playing the long game. Williams followed that up by averaging 14 points and shooting 38% from three as a sophomore. Emerging as one of the Pac-12's top young players. But his production declined last season when he shot just 36, 26% from three-point range and made a career low 36% of his twos. You know who love that. 
<laughs> Mike Hopkins. <laughs> uh, lost his starting job during the NIT when he totaled just 22 points in four games, sort of uh, leading up to this transfer decision. But it's another example of in, in the the Huskies have actually gotten a a recruit out of Seattle uh, this year, which is exciting. But guys coming home to play for the Huskies after going elsewhere. I don't know if something that we should be too impressed by, <laughs> just like being out of the rotation in the NIT and just being like, they're coming, well, it's still, coming home. Was, it's coming home. It's coming home. It's the first time since 1966. <laughs> He was out of the starting line. I mean, I think I think that Williams is a strong regression candidate, particularly his two point shooting. Yeah, no, the three point shooting. Yeah, when we'll he see. gets to the Huskies, that three three point shooting is not going to go up. That is not something that Mike Hopkins likes to stress or look for. But I think that was true. That predates Mike Hopkins. That we can't shoot. What in the hell? Loro's teams used to shoot back in the day. Trey Simmons. Oh, where have you gone? Well, even C.J. Wilcox, like, they shot after that. Always Trey yeah. Simmons, though. He's the Dave Megadon of the Husky story. Like, <laughs> <laughs> for for us, he's always the one we'll remember. It's like Isaiah Thomas, Nate Robinson. That's great. But Trey Simmons. Trey Simmons was there. Uh, I like the you gloss over Brandon Roy. Uh, I told a story the other day about Trey Simmons getting his jersey from the like three days he sent with spent with the Sonics in training camp and giving it to my friend who went to Garfield. What a guy, Trey Simmons. That's how you know. Uh, but for Noah Williams, he says this is my city, and we're like, absolutely, it is. So love to see it. I guess what is the- you know, Paolo Bancaro hasn't declared for the draft. That's a yet, great as far point. As we can tell. So he could also come home yes. to play for UW alongside Noah Williams, who they played together in high school or close friends. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> I personally am counting on it. Uh, would love for Paulo in the same way that Brandon Roy got to go to Portland for Paulo to be able to do the same thing. By the way, I have an important update yes. on Paolo's grandparents for our mom okay. to find out whether she actually knows them. Uh, it turns out that Pelo's family owns a meat shop in Tequila. Really? And it's like, okay, this is, they're from Genoa. They're Genovese. So it's, so it's like, the they fuck? got, they have to know God. our family. All all of this is adding up to me somehow cheering for Duke. <laughs> well, he's not going to play for Duke anymore. I know, but. Even if he hasn't declared for the draft. First it was J.J. Redick, and now this. That's just J.J. Redick it's... being cool. Uh, <laughs> and now Paulo. So, so his family. The, the the other information I learned is that my friend who told me this used to tailgate with the Bancaro family for UW football games, and it's like, really, really, we couldn't even get this guy. <laughs> his family, his parents, both played sports at UW. His mom is one of the great basketball players ever at UW. Couldn't even get it. Can you imagine what a fucking clown show it must have been for Mike Hopkins recruiting him, though? Like, I, I just, I, I, this was not a Mike Hopkins issue. It was, I mean, it's a general program wide issue. But it, like, they weren't good enough to get Paolo Bancaro. I, I agree that that's the case, but I think Lorenzo, I think Loro gets him, right? 
Like, I mean, he did have a history of getting a number of top-rated recruits. He went out in the Pacific Northwest and got almost all of the best players who were here, especially the ones whose parents played at the University of Washington. He was able to go sign those guys, right? Like <laughs> Spencer Haas. And, and Nate Robinson, right? Like, yeah. there's kind of a history of him being Actually, able to Actually, he, he didn't sign Nate Robinson. Oh, that was I'm a not Bob sure Bender if... one? I don't know if Bob Bender did either. No the one did. Signed Nate Robinson was, no, it was Rick Neuheisel. <laughs> Oh, Rick. he came in as a football player. That's God. Shouts to Rick Neuheisel also. <laughs> uh, I just, I really think that somebody like Mike Hopkins, who just, maybe he's starting to have roots in the area, but so deeply and severely just does not feel like a Seattle person. And I really don't think he's the type of person who could go in and pitch Paulo Boncaro in that way like that's just not who he is and there are positives he like I guess if we want to give Mike, Mike Hopkins credit for this the team did overachieve this year for what it's worth they did and they have overachieved at various times throughout his tenure as UW head coach the issues seem to remain the issues and it does feel like we're sort of on we're, we're on the like the the slow escalator down where it's like, we know how the story ends for Mike Hopkins already, but I just really think the idea of him as the coach going in and trying to recoup Paulo Bancaro is just, it's the wrong person in the wrong program at the wrong time to go and do it. I will Conroy has a better chance of going and getting him, you know? So here was a note from friend of the pod, Percy Allen in the Seattle times uh, the other day. What was when the name Corin of the meat Johnson... shop though? Mondo and Sons. Mondo is the name of it. It's still there? Uh, it appeared so. Uh, when the Huskies signed Corin Johnson, the Garfield point guard who uh, is uh, coming here, four-star prospect, uh, top-rated top prospect in the state, to go along with Tyler Linhard, who uh, signed last November. He's, I, I believe, from Kings. Uh, the first time in... At least two decades, the Huskies have have signed the top two players from the state of Washington in the wow. same recruiting class. Wow! So, so there you go. That's that's keeping him home, I suppose. Yeah. Building a fence around the state, there, my cop. <laughs> it's maybe not the best year of players from the state of Washington, but impressive nonetheless. Bancaro Bros Smokehouse. Uh. I, I think you got to give it up to him to a certain extent, though, I suppose. Yeah. All right, UW football also adding transfers. Another one, Nebraska running back wide receiver Will Nixon announced his transfer UW. Nixon suffered an ACL injury prior to his first year in Lincoln, was unable to play that season, then saw action in just three games last year, finishing with one catch for five yards. The combo of those two, along with the COVID year, means Nixon could hypothetically have four full years to play it, you know, there we go. as a transfer. Uh, according to his Nebraska bio, he played wide receiver as a junior in high school in Texas before moving to running back as, as a senior and rushing for more than 1,800 yards and 27 t- touchdowns. He was listed as a wide receiver by the Cornhuskers, but uh, considered an option for their, and I'm using the strongest possible air quotes here, duck R position that involves taking hands-offs. I, I looked this up. I still don't really understand. I definitely don't understand where the name duck R this comes from. This is in from. the Keelan DeBoer offense? 
No, no, no. This was the in Nebraska the Nebraska offense. Okay. The Scott Frost offense. Okay. So, I, unclear exactly where Nixon will line up. Huskies deeper, certainly a wide receiver than they are running back, but they've also just got a lot of running was backs. Was he at now Oregon after. for a while, Scott Frost? Am I wrong about that? Yeah, he was the offensive coordinator at Oregon. I'm guessing that's where it comes from then. Oh yeah, I guess that does make sense. I did not did not put two and two together on that one. That's why it's good to have you on the pod. Yeah. I've never heard it in the context of Oregon football whatsoever, but yes, that's that must be the origin. Uh let's wrap things up with the Seahawks. See, Adam seem Schefter. like I guess for what it's worth, seem like a type of player that Kalen DeBoer presumably would be excited about, like the the multifacetedness. And it is very clear that Kalen DeBoer got to UW and said to himself, we need more talent at the skill positions, at running back, at wide receiver. And I think that is something that he's really tried to address through these transfers. And look, maybe these players aren't going to have a huge impact right away, but it's it's been very intentional that he has gone out and found those players. And it's an important thing in clearly the, the Kalen DeBoer offense that they're instituting with Ryan Grubbs. And... I think it was something that was severely lacking. You know, the explosiveness on offense was something that was very lacking last season. So it's it it makes sense how he was approaching this roster right now. Yep. All right, let's wrap things up with the Seahawks. My ESPN colleague Adam Schefter reported Tuesday that the Seahawks have picked up the fifth-year option for newly acquired tight end Noah Fant. That guarantees Fant $6.85 million for 2023. He is the first player to have his option picked up from this 2019 draft class, which must be done by May 2nd. He's also the first Seahawks player ever wow. to have their fifth-year option picked up since it was instituted for first-round picks starting with the 2011 draft. Although because of the trades, they've only had four eligible players. I guess Jamal Adams. They picked up Maybe his option had already been picked up by the Jets before he got traded here. That makes sense. Uh, the four eligible Seahawks draft picks, James Carpenter in 2011, Bruce Irvin in 2012, uh, Jermaine Effetti, I want to say 2017, and then Rashad Penny in 2018. I'm a little surprised that they didn't pick up Bruce Irvin's. It wasn't that much money, right? Uh, I think he would have been qualified as an edge, so it probably was pretty substantial. The other thing is, back in the, it was, a, I guess it actually was easier back in the day because it was only guaranteed for injury at the time you picked it up. Now it is fully guaranteed when you pick it up. Also, LJ Collier is eligible this year. <laughs> we'll see. Who can tell? I mean, with Fayette, not surprising that they would pick this up. They they clearly value him. They clearly think that six point nine million is not that much for a tight end. <laughs> yeah, it's a steal. <laughs> Sub Will Disley range. Uh, no, I think this makes sense though. It's it's on. It's not that much money, right? It seems like Noah Fant should be worth that. You would think so, and it gives them some more time to sort of figure out you know, how he fits in their offense and then determine on a long-term extension. We, did you have any takeaways? We we sort of didn't wrap up the... Uh, I'm just the curious. You have Danny. this Jay-Z quote in here. I'm trying to... Oh, that's just... That's saving that for another day. <laughs> I'm, I'm just... That's just in there. Okay. I was so when excited to see where it came in. In the notes, I was like, wow, what, what a tale Kevin is going to be weaving here to include this quote. Well... I I need the right the right uh, conventional wisdom to play off of to use that quote, but I wanted to look it up just in case. It's it's a great quote. Whenever somebody hears it, it is. Yeah, it is. It's basically like it, about Levis Um <laughs> Oh no! I 
<laughs> Takeaways from our conversation with Danny. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Danny does not think the Seahawks should trade down. Um, you know, I actually went and listened to him on the Seahawks man-to-man pod, and he he was okay with the idea of trading down. And I think probably to a certain extent, I, I agree with him. I, overall, the Seahawks just need a lot of good players. You know, they don't just need one good player, and they need... They could use 10. There are a lot of roster spots to be had for, for good players in those first handful of rounds. But I think they probably need some very high-end talent on the roster. So I I would be... I think I'd be disappointed if they didn't draft in the top 15 or 16 this year and, and get somebody who felt like they were up there. Other than that, I just really think it's hard in the way that we go into every season. I guess you sort of chatted about this, that the Seahawks haven't had a pick at the top, so they haven't been able to make a more conventional pick. And I think it's a little bit difficult to just say, well, if they were higher up, they would make a more conventional draft pick. It's just been a long time since they drafted Earl Thomas and they drafted Russell Okung. And those probably were sort of like anticipated picks. The problem that happened after that was the Seahawks started believing their own bullshit. They got right a lot and they got obviously lucky to be right a lot for that period of time. And all of a sudden they believed that they were kingmakers or whatever. And believing your own personal hype is usually a very dangerous thing. They started believing their eyes and their perspective more than they believed in sort of the traditional wisdom of who you should take when. That wasn't the case necessarily. Not that I'm saying that Pete Carroll believed in like the group think of who he should take went around the Russell Kung, uh, uh, Earl Thomas draft. But I think there was a little bit more of like, a, let's play it a little bit safer here and find our guys later on. And <clears throat> I think the mentality has changed. Like we can't even really take that as part of... Uh, to even influence kind of who Pete Carroll and John Schneider are now just because of how long it's been and how much has happened to them. And I think it is much more likely that we should take the last nine drafts or whatever after that. Even the Bruce Irvin pick, though, the next year we kind of talked about as which was a pretty baffling pick when they made it. I, I mean, what, what did Mel Kuyper grade that draft? Well, grading drafts, I think, is... Uh, Sure, but that's just a sign of how unconventional that yes. pick in particular was considered. But I think the the most likely outcome is I don't think the Seahawks are going to like totally biff on this pick or whatever, take an interior defensive lineman or something like that, another safety. Ah, uh, Jonathan Davis is out there. I think they're probably going to take a tackle. Like I, I just I can feel it in my bones that the Seahawks are going to take a tackle here. And maybe that's the right thing to do. I mean, I think uh, it wasn't that bad a grade. C minus tied for the lowest of all 32 grade it teams. It wasn't that bad of a grade, the lowest of all 30. You understand how grading works at ESPN? You don't throw around Fs that often. Not Fs, no. Or, or Ds. D, D pluses tend to get noticed when they put Scotty Barnes on the graphic. <laughs> so... I, that's kind of my takeaway is that I, I can really feel I mean again I've kind of been through this and that I personally don't think that offensive linemen are necessarily worth investing in that high but I could see an argument for why they were I mean I think my big thing with the Seahawks is 
that they often tend to fall in love with one specific person and kind of damn the value to get this one specific person that usually has been in trade, not specifically in the draft. Uh, I think the better strategy is to like sit back and wait for someone to fall to you. And it sounds like they're actually pretty well positioned to do that with the ninth pick in this year's draft. Oh yeah. So, I mean, if multiple guys slide, if there are, you know, multiple wide receivers, if Kyle Hamilton and a couple quarterbacks go in the top eight picks and you can slide back a few picks and still get one of those guys, then I think that's the ideal scenario. But otherwise, I'm completely comfortable with them just picking at number nine, whoever's the best available, particularly assuming that's out of position not, of need. That's not true, though. Like, Justin Hamilton might be the best player available. No, no, now you did the Justin Hamilton Or whatever thing. the fuck. It's because you. I accepted you. Yes. What's his name? I said it right this time. Kyle Hamilton. Kyle Hamilton. Uh, Kyle Hamilton might be the best player available, but the Seahawks still shouldn't draft Kyle Hamilton. That's not what I'm saying, though. It is exactly what you're saying, in fact. I said I was hoping that he went ahead of them. But you were saying they should sit back and take the best player available, and he might be the best player available. Okay, take the best player at a position of need available. I mean... I, we agree that Kyle Hamilton, even setting aside the value of safeties in the top 10, Kyle Hamilton does not make sense for the Seahawks specifically because they already have two starting safeties. I kind of like the all-safety defense, though. Just move Jamal Adams to linebacker full-time? I mean, it, it's kind of wild to me. I feel like there's going to be a team that does it, does something like that, and it's going to be like the small ball lineup. Like... I, I feel like teams haven't quite. I mean, it's happening there. at the college level. Like four two five is basically the default defense, and a lot of those teams, or three three five, and a lot of those teams have a hybrid kind of linebacker safety. I mean, certainly you can even look at the Huskies, the kind of corners that they've nickel corners that they've had that have basically been safeties. I mean, I understand having ways. more speed on the outside with your corners, but. You know, at the safety positions and the linebacker positions and how those are kind of hybrid positions, even at nickel, like having players who are both fast and big on the field and as many of those players as possible. It's sort of like, again, it makes me think of basketball, like the all switching defense, right? You could have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. That's kind of like, fuck it, maybe they should draft Kyle Hamilton. The problem is just that <laughs> I just don't, I deeply do not think that they understand how to use these players. And I think that... Well, I mean, defensively... Who knows? Because they do have a lot of different people in the room defensively than they used to have. I will never, ever, ever buy that anything is going to change under Pete Carroll until I see it, and I see it for a full season, maybe even more. Right? Like, I mean, I think his willingness to fire people and bring in outsiders. His willingness to fire people and scapegoat them? That's fucking bullshit. He didn't even bring in an outsider. He hired Clint Hurd as the defensive coordinator. Are you not? Yeah, but he hired Sean Desai is clearly in a very important role. Did not offer him the defensive coordinator job. Uh, An important role is not defensive coordinator. Pete Carroll, he hires and fires people based upon how he wants to fucking scapegoat somebody else. I... It's really hard for me to even like talk about the Seahawks, though, because what we're doing right now is we are sitting around and accruing talent for the next regime. That's it. 
That's why they should draft the best possible player because these motherfuckers are going to get fired. They traded Russell Wilson and they're going to go seven and 10 and then they're going to go seven and 10 and then they're going to get fired. And it's just like whatever is left when all the dust is settled from that, there probably will still be a good player from this ninth pick in the draft. And we would like that player to be on the team. So that that's kind of just how I'm viewing this, which is like, as long as they draft somebody who seems like they're a pretty good NFL player and will fit into a general roster, like position fit and shit like that, I do not want to hear about though, because nobody can help this team win when Drew Locke is the quarterback. Well, what if the position fit is a quarterback? Then that would be great. I I would think that was very fun, but it's not going to happen. We heard Brady Henderson. Matter of fact, it was just like the 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 adamants. Is that a word? Adamants? <laughs> yes. The adamants that Brady Henderson had that they were not going to draft a quarterback. I I really, I think I believe it. You know, we'll talk about them. Pelton Cast Live, April 22nd, Good Times, Bad Bar. We'll talk about the quarterbacks that are in the draft. We'll get excited about it. We'll get hyped on it. We'll we'll delude ourselves into thinking that the Seahawks might sign Colin Kaepernick or whatever. But the reality is Pete Carroll is who Pete Carroll is. And Pete Carroll's going to do Pete Carroll shit. And drafting normal players really isn't Pete Carroll shit. And I, I I could see that Malik Willis could be a Pete Carroll quarterback. I think there's a seems to be a lot of smoke about him going higher, and I probably believe Danny that it's looking like just somebody's going to fall in love with him. And there's always the like standoff between multiple teams where the only way you can guarantee that you get the quarterback you want is if you have the highest pick. And I don't think you lock into an edge rusher or a cornerback or a tackle in the same way that you do a quarterback. Where I don't, I would agree with that. You don't choose one. You say I would be happy with these one of these three. With a quarterback, I don't really buy that teams are just like, eh, take Ritter, pick it, Sam Howell, right? Like I, I don't really buy that teams do that. I think the way that you judge quarterbacks is almost like it's like an in crowd, out crowd type of thing where you just you like latch on to somebody and you're like, that's our fucking guy. That's the franchise right there. And you start to sort of have this like rallying cry, like one person's like John Schneider's like, I think I think Desmond Ritter's it. And then everybody else is like, yeah, Desmond Ritter, he's the guy. Whether it makes sense or not, you talk yourselves into it. And all of a sudden, Blake Bortles is the third fucking pick of the draft. I mean, we'll talk more about this. I wouldn't be surprised if the Seahawks trade up from 40 or 41 to get a quarterback. That would not surprise me. To where, though? Like 28. The, tr- the pick that they've used to trade to other people who wanted a quarterback. Did you see Ben's thing about uh, second round quarterbacks? I didn't think the hit track record was quite as negative I, as Ben made it. I didn't out think so me. either. I mean, there's, there's some good players in there. there. Jimmy G, he's the biggest Jimmy G fan. But there, there were a handful of competent NFL quarterbacks. I mean, Derek Carr yeah. is thoroughly average, which oh, Derek quarterback Carr is a useful thing. Way better than thoroughly average. Derek Carr is a top 10 NFL quarterback. Okay. But maybe that's not way better than thoroughly average. Because <laughs> if he's number 10, yeah, right. there's not that far. There just aren't that yeah, many quarterbacks. That's what I was saying. But I, I think Derek Carr is, how about this, solidly above average. I do, too, also wonder. I thought Kyle Trask was some sort of a coach. Definitely. No, NASCAR. That can't be a real quarterback. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
I mean, obviously we've picked the best quarterbacks out of there, but Andy Dalton for where he was taken, pretty good. Colin Kaepernick got the got the 49ers to a Super Bowl. And Jimmy G, so, both of them. Yeah. But I I I'm really just kind of having I don't know. We can talk about individual players, but I think we're going to get their draft night and it's going to be something strange and then we're going to be like, "Wow, where did that come from?" And we're going to surprise ourselves and we shouldn't be surprised because this is the shit. This is what happens. The Mariners are good one season. They just missed the playoffs. Then all of a sudden, all the steam, the Seattle Times, they're like, this is the year. And guess what? Every single one of their players is hitting under 200. Like, <laughs> it happens over and it's over all, and over again. It's all but two. It's all but two. All but two are hitting. Jesse Winker, though. I like that. I like Jesse Winker. He's, he's not one of the two. He's hitting under right. 200? believe so it's a, it's a good under 200 though okay yeah there's some okay. hard balls that he's hitting <laughs> oh god he was jp crawford and die france in the two i feel like the fans in major league two when they start out really excited and then they get more and more upset. oh yeah yeah that's like that's gonna be this mariner season it's just like fading into i mean we'll probably just stop paying attention at some point but uh, that is the beauty of baseball. <laughs> baseball keeps going. I think it's the beauty of hockey too. But um, whether you're paying attention no, or not, no comment. Baseball keeps going. You're still watching hockey, right? I watched part of tonight's game. Yeah, I wanted to see Beniers. How was that? He looked like he belonged. <sighs> uh, Winker is at 188, but with a four four thirty five OBP. See, but a 188 slugging percentage. Wait, really? <laughs> Zero extra base hits thus far. Really? I mean, 16 at bats. I remember there being a couple extra base hits that I saw. Ha- okay. Hanniger's under 200 also. Well, I'll, I'll ch- double check the scoring. It must be really Hanniger's at 143. Really cold He's in three Minnesota for and Chicago just for the Mariners. <laughs> <laughs> On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks. <laughs>